You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome to Canada's least listened to sports broadcast. This is the SPN Sports Roundtable. Your opponents for today's battle, fighting out of the red corner, from Pate Village, Ontario, Canada, it's the one, the only, the infamous, Dwayne Rollins! His opponent, the Lavelle Comet, Kevin Laramie! Special guest referee for today, David Foote of CJBQ Radio. And welcome to the SPN Roundtable. I'm Dwayne Rollins, your host for today. David Foote joins us. He's a news and sports reporter from CJBQ, a call number, a call station that uh, that I, I know well from my childhood. That's located in Belleville, was the uh, the home of the Belleville Bulls, my childhood team, for years and years. Uh, David uh, actually called Bulls games on, uh, on the TV side for a while. Uh, so, David, thanks for joining us. And thanks for having me, guys. Uh, it's been a little while since I chatted with you. Nice to be back. Cool. Uh, Kevin, you know Kevin. I don't know. I'm not going to introduce Kevin anymore. Hey, Kevin. <laughs> Hello. It's me. All the right. Laval Comet himself. The Laval Comet. Uh, we're going to start with some hockey talk today. And, and Alexander Ovechkin scored his 500th goal this past week. And, and I, I sort of noticed something in the coverage of that. There was kind of a revisiting of, of how we view the grade eight. Um, I think a lot of Canadians in the past were focused on some of the more negative aspects of, or perceived negative aspects of his personality, that he was too showy, that he was too Russian or whatever. Uh, but after he scored that 500th goal, there were a lot of people that sort of said, you know what, maybe we're not giving him enough respect, David. Do we give Ovechkin enough respect? I think now you have to. I think you have to give credit where credit's due. And 500 goals is uh, uh, it's it's a very tough number to hit, uh, let alone how fast he hit it. Right. Um, the one thing that struck me about number 500 specifically was how similar it was to uh, probably 80 percent of Alexander Ovechkin's goals that he scored in his career. Um, you know, top of the circle, quick shot, that sort of thing. Um, I, I've always respected Ovechkin. I do. You know, you see him as the evil rock a little bit like you say but um i think i think he's certainly getting the respect that he deserves for sure all right uh, kevin uh do you think it just comes down to the, those that don't like ovechkin still it, that he hasn't won a cup is that the big issue i guess but you have to always wonder too it's a 30 team league it's hard to win the cup there's a lot of teams that say playoff scenario when you're not hot you're not that good and it's a team sport Ovechkin is just one player and he was not surrounded for his entire career the way other greats the way Sidney Crosby if you don't want to mention it the, a player that will always be linked with Ovechkin because it's two greats playing at the same time uh, it's kind of like Lemur and Gretzky in a way uh, but uh, different because they're closer in age Crosby has been surrounded for his entire career. We're seeing this year when he's not surrounded the best, and Malkin is there too. You have to always remember when you're talking about the Pittsburgh Penguins. For Washington, yeah, he had Backstrom, 
But outside of Backstrom, it was usually a struggle, and the team did not have the goal that he needed to necessarily go all the way this year with Holby. It's a different story. Uh, but Ovechkin had to carry that team maybe too much on his shoulder at one point, and it was a heavy burden. Now he seems he got rid of that burden, and he seems that he's actually back to enjoying and producing like he loves to. Yeah, David, let's talk about the Caps right now. This does seem to be the other part of this equation, is that they are perhaps the best team in the National Hockey League right now, doing it under the radar for most of the first half of the season because Washington doesn't get the attention that, that other markets do. Um, is that team for real? Can they do? They go deeper? Will they once again get uh, that have that playoff hiccup that's always uh, always bit them in the butt? It's uh, it's one of those things that's kind of tough to predict, right, uh, how a team is going to do in the playoffs. You have to think that a team with 69 points uh, after 43 games played is probably going to have a pretty good go come playoff time. Um, like you, you mentioned, Brayden Holpe, and, uh, you know, how, how well he's played this year, I think that's probably, uh, you know, going to be the biggest factor when it comes to how Washington does come playoff time is, is can he step up and uh, can he do the job. And I think – I think he can. I think maybe they go a little deeper than they have in the past couple of years, but I mean, uh, it's such a toss-up come playoff time, and even the teams that are around, you know, like the 4-5-6, both New York teams, Montreal, uh, those are teams with uh, the capability to turn it on uh, during a playoff run and, you know, keep that curse going for Washington. So, at this point, yes, they could go further, but you always have to wait and see when it comes to the NHL playoffs, as you guys know. Yeah, full disclosure, as Kevin well knows, that I grew up oddly as a Washington Capitals fan. So I have my fingers crossed on that one. Uh, it's been been a long time. Uh, I live in Toronto as well, so I haven't seen a lot of success in the playoffs for a very, very long time on either my childhood team or my uh, current hometown team. Um, Kevin, let's move to uh, another another side there that's uh, close to where you are and that is an enigma right at this moment. I mean, Carey Price goes down. Obviously, that's that's going to hurt any team. But uh, what's happened to the Habs, I think, goes deeper than what than than one injury to a goaltender. Well, what is happening in in Habiland there, Kev? It's a very interesting question. I don't know if it's a mixture of youth that is maybe. I don't know if it's Galchenyuk the problem. The fact that uh, we all know the story by now, and if a quick uh, quick resume of the story, while well, Galchenyuk went out in the clubs with uh, DSP Devante Smith Belly. He was at home uh, in the morning with uh, two uh, women that were not his girlfriend, and they were not in a compromising situation, but they were just that's uh, that's what hearsay. What I'm saying, and uh, his uh, girlfriend came in and slapped him, and police were called, and uh, she got arrested. So very, very disturbing news for a professional hockey player when you need to focus on your professional, uh, when your team's not doing great and you're not having a good season. And yeah, so there's a lot of things going on in that locker room probably with a young captain. I don't know if it's a problem. Probably not. Max uh, Pacioretty is probably doing his best to uh, keep everybody in check. And Michel Terrien, who is known as not a dictator type of coach, but a very authoritative type of coach, he his ways were different his second time around in Montreal. How long will he be nice and uh, how long is it till we see the uh, Terrien of old come back and uh, with the whip come out and uh, basically berate his players in the media? I feel like it's coming soon and it's not really looking good. It feels like there's a blowout coming for the uh, Montreal Habs and uh, quite frankly with the non-success on the ice over the last 20 games, yeah, there's something brewing here. Terrian had a great quote yesterday that he wished all of his players would go home and have milk and cookies every night, but that wasn't reality. Yeah. Uh, David, uh, is this just kind of Habs drama because there's so much attention on that team, or or is there more going on there? 
Well, I, I was going to ask Kevin, actually, uh, you know, I, I don't live in the Montreal area, but you do. Is it something to do with um, the city? Uh, there's a lot to talk about when guys go to New York and how tough it can be to play there just because of the environment you're in. Forget the attention on an original six team. Uh, you look at Zach Cassian earlier uh, this season, didn't even get to play for the Habs because he got in some off-ice trouble. It, Kevin, do you think it's like the, the city and the fact that these young uh, elite players are growing up in the um, an environment like that as players? I think it's when you grow up with the amount of money they do have now when you're 20, 22 years old, you're a multimillionaire, you live in a city where if you have that type of money, the doors are open to you. When you have that type of recognition, doors get open, bills get paid, you get recognized, you get worshipped. And sometimes uh, the line needs to be drawn and you don't necessarily surround yourself with the best amount of people. If you go back to the Kostitsin brothers, you have the same story repeating. So it's all about how you surround yourself. And it's uh, something you learn with trial and error if you don't have the right surrounding to begin with. And uh, we're seeing in some case of the young players, but much all Canadians right now is they're probably not surrounded the best way. And uh, that doesn't include agent. It includes sometimes family are part of the problem. Sometimes it's the, the solution to the problem. But in other cases, they're the actual problem. And if you don't choose wisely who you surround yourself to, uh, the ground, uh, reality is hard to stay in check with yourself. So uh, there's a lot of that. And when you have that type of money, that type of influence in a city like Montreal, there's a lot of temptation. And you need to have the professionalism to uh, fight off those temptations. Yeah, a young man that uh, has wealth and, and influence, uh, Finding himself maybe not in an appropriate situation with a woman who's not his girlfriend is hardly unique. Uh, I think the 8 a.m. aspect of that would be a little concerning to the Habs. But other than that, uh, a lot of this is just, uh, to me, has been blowing a bit up. And, and well, I mean, there is the arrest, so we don't want to discount that. But uh, certainly, you know, it, it's hardly the first athlete to find himself in that situation. And, and how the Habs handle it is is really dependent on, on what happens inside that room and not so much on what, uh, you know, idiots like us talk about it, right? All right, uh, David, I want to uh, bring the June this to junior hockey uh, that you're familiar with junior hockey very well mm -hmm. having uh, covered that in the past and uh, the world juniors just wrapped up uh, Canada with one of its worst performances in in many years just from your perspective what exactly happened there or and, and is there anything to, to truly be concerned about I I, I mean obviously there's going to be some concern when Canada doesn't uh, win a medal you know a quarterfinal exit is uh, not what you know, anybody in this country expects from, uh, from that team. At the same time, they took a philosophically different approach to the team this year. They went young on purpose, uh, knowing that uh, Toronto, Montreal is the host cities again next year and having a chance to win it at home again. Uh, so they went young this year. They got some guys in the lineup and got them um, experience and, uh, and, and, they paid for that choice, I guess, when it comes down to it. A win, two losses, and an overtime win uh, in, the, in you know, group play, and then, of course, the quarterfinal um, loss. So, th so they paid for that decision. I think it's going to pay off, though, uh, next year. You're going to see guys come back with a lot more experience. Um, you know, 
having to deal with playing in that tournament, the pressure of it is one thing, and then having to deal with playing in that tournament in Canada is another thing. So really just only one of those things that guys will have to focus on next year is the difference of um, playing at home. I also think you can't discount uh, the performance of that Finnish team. Um, four and one at home uh, in, in the round robin. Uh, they knocked off some outstanding hockey clubs on their way uh, to winning that gold medal, and uh, an outstanding gold medal finish it was. So uh, perhaps not so much what Canada did wrong, but what everybody else did right at the World Juniors this year. Uh, David has to, to, to attend to some other business in a couple minutes, so I'm going to keep you in for one final question on the junior side of things. Um, having lost my my childhood team this this past year, David, I, I will admit that I have paid exactly zero seconds attention to what's happening in, in the uh, CHL this year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just I can't. I, I see the highlights and I turn them off. I'm still angry about it. But I will ask you to sort of uh, tell me where things are there. Uh, well, how is the, the world in the OHL and the CHL right now? Is there any storylines that we should be highlighting and looking for as we uh, move towards the the final part of the season? Uh, well, I can tell you, uh, you're not alone when it comes to former Bulls fans who have kind of lost a little bit of touch with the OHL this year, especially because Hamilton, uh, you know, the team that replaced the Bulls, is drawing uh, the same number of fans as they were here in Belleville and uh, are not performing very well sitting in ninth place. So if, if a storyline is expansion teams and how they're doing in the OHL this year, Hamilton Eight, uh, ninth place in their conference, Flint ninth place uh, in its conference. So uh, expansion hasn't been so good um, in in the OHL or at least relocation anyway. Uh, one story similar to the one we talked about in the NHL would be um, the Kingston Frontenacs who uh, are leading the OHL's Eastern Conference, but a team that again gets to the playoffs and then forgets how to play and uh, usually goes out in the first round. So they're probably someone to watch. Uh, the London Knights uh, are obviously always a story. Uh, man to bring in players from uh, you know the NCAA and all kinds of um, places like that. Uh, the Erie Otters still a story, number one uh, in the country. 34, five and one uh, are the Erie Otters this year. Uh, so without Connor McDavid as well, right? So uh, that's kind of an interesting story. The fact that they were able to uh, keep up their caliber of play in the uh, tough OHL West. Uh, without Connor McDavid. So uh, lots of interesting storylines, even if we're not watching them uh, as closely as we once did. The uh, Belleville Bulls went to more Memorial Cup tournaments than the Kingston Frontenacs have won playoff to, uh, playoff series in the last 25 <laughs> years, David. Yeah, it's, uh, it's true, and uh, the Belleville folks will never let the Kingston folks forget that either. All right. David, we do thank you for your time today. Hopefully we can get you on uh, some sometime down the road to, when we have a little more time, but we appreciate what time you did give us today, and uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah, thanks, you guys. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. I am proud to announce that SBN is launching the most prestigious Hall of Fame in the world of niche podcasting. The SPN Sports Hall of Fame. Not just one sport, Sports Hall of Fame for all of the world of sports. We have the one and only niche podcast Hall of Fame that everyone needs to follow and listen to and respect as the authority in niche podcasting Hall of Fame nominations in the world of sport all time. Kevin. I have tears coming down my cheeks right now, Dwayne. It's a great moment for SPN, a Hall of Fame, something that for me has a great meaning, if none whatsoever, because 
it's just fun to talk about who deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, who deserves to, to do it, and we decided to include you, the listener, in it. Yeah, you have a little homework to do. Every Patreoners, every supporter of this show on patreon.com slash sports podcast network has a ballot for the SPN Sports Hall of Fame for this year because it's the introduction of the year. Send us your five, any sport. The only, only requirement is they have to be retired for five years. But outside of that, all sports, all athletes are fair game. And uh, well, welcome back, folks. Uh, David, again, he only had a short amount of time today, but he's such a good guest that we thought we'd get him on. Kevin and I are going to ter- turn this round table into a, uh, uh, like a folding coffee table, maybe, Kevin? Sure. Or, a, uh, yeah, coffee table, uh, maybe a, a Pac-Man type of table, too. That could be fun. Yeah, just sitting there staring staring each other down. Um we're going to talk a little tennis here, and there's been some interesting news in the tennis world in Canada. Jeannie uh, Bouchard seems to maybe finally be back on track, and I, I think that that's a good place to start. And we'll talk about English in a minute. Uh, but uh, Jeannie is in the final of the tournament. It's a small tournament, but it's who cares really at this point? Yeah, uh, it's a Hobart Hobart International yeah. Tournament in uh, Australia. Yeah. It's a, the last lead-up tournament to the Australian Open that starts Monday. Yeah, and she uh, she advanced to the final uh, last night. These things are hard to, for us to follow over here because they happen in the middle of the night. But uh, nonetheless, uh, good action for her. Um, should we be hopeful at this point, Kevin, that maybe she's turned it around, that maybe her year's walk in the wilderness is over? Well, let's not forget that she did suffer a severe concussion in the U.S. Open in a weird, uh, weird accident where she slipped in the training in the locker room area where uh, coming out of the shower, the lights were turned off, she didn't see, and she slipped and hit her head pretty hard and suffered concussion. That took her a while to uh, face the fact that she had a concussion and couldn't train and couldn't do all that. And now it looks like she's back. After a disappointing year of result-wise and that injury, hopefully she is back on the right side of thing. And uh, confidence is a big part of tennis now the the new coach situation with her the uh, all the drama that happened last year in her personal life as well are probably over now and it's time i think she actually took a uh, a time to refocus her career and start training a lot and she's been past three months very intense training if you look at her social media instagram and all that she's been really involved with nike and in training different training methods with the marginal gain aspect brought to tennis so I think we're seeing Jeannie Bouchard really on demand and uh, we'll see in the final but it doesn't even matter if she wins that game it's the fact that she made it there it's really important and she beat uh, Sibokova in Dominika Sibokova which uh, used to be the former darling of the WTA tour in the semifinal so she did beat some formidable opponents so uh, it's not just an accident I think she's back on demand yeah look and, and we forget that uh during that U.S. Open, it did seem like she had finally got it back together. Now, Bouchard's 2015 season was a disaster. Let's not kid ourselves here. She went from being the darling of Canadian sport, like forget tennis, Canadian sport, yeah. um, to, to being like a punchline at times. And she really was because she was losing to to players you know, badly, like 6'1", 6'2", type stuff. Uh, players ranked much lower than her players that she would have handled. And, and to me, from an outside perspective, and I always hate – this kind of game when others do it. But I think in this particular case, I'll make an exception. It looked like it was her head. It looked like everything was in her head that she just, she was over. There's a theory within uh, sports psychology called the inverted U. And what that is, is it means if you exert too much, um, you try too hard, 
that your performances goes down. That's a really simple way to put it. And and to me, that that's what she was doing. She was like overthinking things, over trying, trying to force issues in, and it was just killing her game. And and maybe the injury in some ways was a blessing in the sense that it allowed her to refocus, to only train, to not have these weekend disappointments that were completely setting her back and getting her head worked up even more and more. So maybe it was a blessing that way because she's immensely, immensely talented. Yeah, not just that, Dwayne, we have to remember too the pressure of defending those points in the tennis world. The second year after your great year of success is very, very heavy on your shoulder, especially with the amount of success she had with finals and semifinals and quarterfinals of Grand Slam. When you have to repeat those points the next year just to maintain your position in the rankings, can you imagine the amount of pressure? And when you fail at the Aussie Open, the amount of pressure on the next one because you just don't need to maintain you need to get more points if you want to get more position in the top 10 and that's pressure just kept building and building and once that injury happened that pressure just been dropped and this year she's back to playing free and i think it's not a coincidence as we see the fact that she doesn't need to defend those points anymore because it's done already well at least now she has some gains in front of her and she has maybe uh, uh, the freedom to play her style and not too defensively not to lose and i think that the Playing to win and playing not to lose might be a big cliche, but it's still very true in a single, in a uh, individual sport. Yeah, we. I think some of this, because she looks so much older than she is, she truly does, right? Like she's a very physically strong young woman that looks older than her age and carried herself older than her age. And that, I think, made us forget that she was incredibly young. And I think some of the things we saw over the last year may have been related to her youth. The whole like refusing to shake the hand at the at the uh, Federation Cup competition. Like that's ridiculous. That's such a kid thing to do. Like for God's sake, suck it up and shake the woman's hand, right? Like that's ridiculous and no one respected her for that and it just put more undue like attention upon her. Um, I don't begrudge her going on the covers of magazines. Uh, I think that anyone who's given that opportunity should do that. Uh, but at the same time, it's how to balance that aspect of your career, how to balance that fame part of things with your actual tennis, which is making what is what making is what's making you famous. I don't know whether she always balanced it as well as she could when there was that meteoric rise to fame, right, Kevin? Yeah. And now maybe that this sobering year is behind her that will help her do those things and and she is a year older you mature quickly when you're 20 21 22 right uh, and yeah and not just that when she's better surrounded too because when you go through those uh adventures or uh perils basically she went through last year you find out who your real friends are and those ones stick by you and when you're not the darling when you're not the the biggest story in women's tennis anymore you're surrounded with people that you might need to be surrounded with, but not the one that want to cling on you. So uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, factors that goes into why Jeannie's probably performing better right now. Yeah, it, it, look, uh, she's at the Aussie Open too, and she's always been most comfortable there, I think. Uh, that's where her initial success came from. Uh, that's where the Jeannie's Army uh, was, was born. Yep. So, you know, it's right in front of her, and, and that will start this weekend. Uh, I, we are going to talk about Milos real quickly before we, <laughs> we move on to, to do a little NFL talk. But before we do that, uh, uh, Kevin and I want to make an announcement. Kevin, do you want to make the announcement? Game. Set. Podcast. <laughs> Tennis yeah, we're podcast. doing another show. Yep, tennis podcast on the sports podcast, and that's where we're starting this weekend. 
Yeah, and we're going to be looking at the Aussie Open there. We're going to try and get a guest in to do this expert. Uh, um, initially, Cal, we, we don't know what the schedule would be like yet, but yet another show. Is that 18 now, Kevin? Uh, closer than 20, but yes, we're, we're getting close to the benchmark of 20, 20, between 2025 20, that you, we said we, uh, we wanted on this show, on this network. So, yeah, we're getting really close now. Yeah, and uh, you know what? It'll probably be a situation where either Kevin and I or both of us will come on with a special guest and we'll uh, – We'll we'll break down major tournaments for a while and and, and maybe get to some in between stuff there. Uh, as I said, look look on the, our uh, relative social media feeds and on uh, sports podcasting uh, on the website. Uh, give that URL out, Kevin. Absolutely, uh, sportspodcastingnetwork.com and uh, sportspodcastingnetwork at gmail.com for any comments or anything. And if and not just if you should support the network. Sports, uh, go to patreon.com. So that's P A T R E O N.com slash sports podcast and network. And you can actually vote for the SPN Hall of Fame as well. So uh, it's a great time to be an SPN follower and listener right now. All right. So Game Set Podcast, that will debut this week. In the meantime, let's go back and talk a little bit more tennis right now. Um, briefly on, Mil- on Milos. Uh, he won a tournament, and that was great. And Milos has had injury issues last year. He was not nearly as dramatic as, as Brichard's fall because I think a lot of it could easily be explained with Milos that he just had that ankle problem that sort of held him out and he couldn't train. So he wasn't able to sort of uh, replicate a lot of things. And he too has fallen down the rankings. But uh, to beat Federer to start his year yeah. in, in Australia, uh, you can't get much better than that. And uh Federer had just a week or so before tipped him as one of the two guys that he felt could break in and become um, a top five player in the world. So a good start of the year for for Milos, Kevin. No, exactly. I think it's his year. It's his time. And again, the same little factor because of his breakthrough season, breakthrough season in 2014. Milos in 2015 had a lot of points to defend due to injury on his side and not just uh, struggle on the court, just do in lagging injury where he could not get all the power on that service. And if he can't get that power on the service, it's become a lot harder for him to win points. It's that simple, usually, with Milos's uh, game. He has become a lot more well-rounded, a lot better in the baseline, a lot more powerful when he goes to the volley as well. But he needs that service. It's his main weapon. When your ankles are feeling better and you have that motion with your shoulder all corrected and healed, you get back that power, that first weapon that he does have. And that's what we've seen. And uh, on hard surface, like the Aussie opened, with a healthy and fresh Milos Raonic, he can really cause some trouble in Australia, in Melbourne, starting on Monday. Yeah, what experts were saying is that the one thing that they really noticed with Milos when he came back was that his volley game was much increased. In the last couple months, he has worked on his volley and he was getting up to the net a lot more and he was being very effective when he got to the net. That, that was one of the more frustrating things about watching him, um, if you were cheering for him, was that he just didn't volley as well as a big man like him should. Mm-hmm. And his guy with a big serve like that, if he can combine that with the volley and that old school serve and volley kind of game, um, I think... Style. Yeah, there's a lot of opportunity there. Pete Sampras is a player that he emulates a great deal in his game um, and is said as one of his heroes uh, of the past. So well, certainly you, you kind of have to, Dwayne, with the just the physical presence of Milos Raonic with his height, with his uh, wingspan in a way, in the his uh, reach, the fact that uh, he got a lot of whip in those arms. If you emulate Pete Sampras, which is the blueprint of using your attributes on a tennis court, he was the tallest and the biggest and the, the strongest when he was playing, and he used that in his game. Sir Volley is the best way to use those attributes on your side of things. I'm not tall. I cannot do Sir Volley. I have a good service for, for my level of play, but I cannot play that way because I cannot uh, have a net presence that is 
as intimidating as a Milos would do. <laughs> few of us could. Very few of us very, could. Very few can, yeah, exactly. Yes, he, he is legitimately a top 10 player. I don't think anyone debates that, although he's ranked outside that right now. So, at any rate, the Aussie Open, it gets going uh, this weekend. Uh, we're going to be watching that a great deal. We'll preview that on Game Set Podcast, the GSP podcast, although I don't know whether we want to use that uh, acronym because there's another GSP, but uh, alas, uh, and we'll he have that. Make, he might be able to come back, so you might want to uh, follow UFC Preview Show, too, to, to talk about GSP soon. There you go. Uh, in the meantime, let's, uh, let's move the conversation to end today's show um, to the NFL playoffs. It was a, an, action, an interesting weekend uh, in, in the wildcard weekend, Kevin, with, uh, with some couple really strange endings. Uh, the, look, the Minnesota one, that's heartbreak for those fan bases. Yeah. Uh, that fan base, again, I mean, it was wide left now becomes you know, a, joke in, yeah. a joke in Minnesota, just like wide right becomes a joke. Not a, not a very funny joke to people there, but a joke for Buffalo. Hey, um, not just that, the laces were in front, Dwayne. The laces were in front. There you go. Look, I the guy made a couple other kicks in very nasty conditions prior to that. Yeah. So it, kicking such a, a strange position in the world of sports because these guys are talented at what they do, but they're so different from what everyone else in that field does <laughs> that they just never get any respect. And their margin for error is so much less than what like an offensive lineman can make 10 mistakes in a game and no one will notice unless you know he like makes a huge mistake and lets the quarterback get yeah. killed but by and large you can make minor mistakes a kicker makes a minor mistake at the wrong time and he becomes a punchline for the rest of his life so that's a pressure that i think very very few of us will ever understand but at the same time one job you had one job <laughs> yeah but it's not that easy as well if you look at the seahawks there was a great breakdown of those kicks. They've analyzed all the kicks he made in that game and the missed kick at the end by uh, the Minnesota kicker. And if you look at Richard Sherman, on every single kick attempt, he gets closer and closer and closer to the kicker on every time. And the kicker does see it. And one, the, the kick prior to the missed one, where he did manage to, to make it, you can tell he reacts to Prince Richard Sherman. He's a little intimidated. And guess what? It's probably must have been in his mind where... If I don't do it fast enough, Sherman's going to take my head off. And guess what? They're all trying to rush it a little bit too much. And not just that. The, the, the cold weather, uh, the fact that it was minus 7 Fahrenheit. It's minus, minus 21 Celsius. Exactly. So minus 21 Celsius, minus 7 Fahrenheit. It was so cold that when you just hold the ball, you don't get the same grip. You don't get the same uh, everything. So everything is a little harder when it comes to your fingers and toes. And guess what? You need fingers to hold the ball. And you need your toes to kick the ball. All those factors combined with the pressure of Richard Sherman on every single kick plays uh, could explain why. During that kick, he was antsy. He was a little nervous. And he just shanked it wide right. Yeah. I, it, in the end, would you rather, as a fan, lose the way Minnesota lost or lose the way Cincinnati oh, lost? Though? Of course, like Minnesota. Why lose like Cincinnati where it's a discipline that actually costs you the game? Oh, yeah, that's just especially in a play in a team like in a play like uh, sports like football where you need to get your fifty two guys in the same state of mind in the same mentality discipline wise and try to do their own job not too much when you're trying to do too much in the game of football you're shooting yourself in the foot and we're seeing with the Bengals the bad penalties at the end of the game that actually made that kick a lot easier for the Packers to pull through. Yeah, that that was a mess, and that's unfortunately been the reputation of the Bengals too. That yeah. they're 
they're kind of a bad boy team and it you know it's it's like the Miami Hurricanes back in the old college football team back in the day that were the bad boys but unless they, uh, except for Cincinnati has no success like have they ever won a playoff game since they went to the, uh, the Super Bowl in 89 I don't I don't remember if they have if they uh, forgive they, me if they, they have might have won one with Carlos Palmer and Ocho Cinco back then but even then I think they they, they, they fiddled out pretty soon in the playoff uh, run they had yeah so Strange things. Uh, let's move ahead and look to this weekend. We wrap the show up, Kevin. Uh, last weekend, the uh, it was a strange one in the sense that the way, just the way the seeding worked out, that the road teams were ultimately, in many people's minds, the favorite. In fact, did did get all the wins. Uh, do you see any upsets this weekend, Kevin? Well, there might be one where the Chiefs are the team to beat in the league, the hottest team right now, and they're facing the Patriots with probably one of the best coach team in the history of the league with Bill Belichick. Uh, a lot of distraction, though, with uh, Chandler Jones Sunday being in the hospital for allegedly consuming synthetic marijuana. And marijuana and having a bad reaction to it. So there's a, a little bit of distraction, but uh, Patriots are used to it. They're used to what's called distraction, and usually they use those distractions at a focusing point. They rally behind that cause and have always that them against the world attitude, uh, especially versus uh, the media. If you're looking at Bill's Belichick uh, press conferences, he would not answer any question that were not related to the Chiefs. And it's a story that we always see repeated by the Patriots. They always have that us against them. But in the sports like football, it canalizes. It's a catalyst to the energy of the players. And if you push in the same direction, it's very cliche. But Tom Brady knows how to get the job done. But this time, it's against the Chiefs. It's against Alex Smith. Coach Reed, it's a team that's 12-game winning streak, 11 or 12. So it's not going to be easy for them to, uh, to, to go on the road in Foxborough with the weather, but the Chiefs are used to it, and the Chiefs can be the team to beat this year. All right. It's got to be one hell of a hit of weed to make you go shirtless in New England in January, but at any rate. <laughs> and a bad one, too, because it's a synthetic one, because they didn't want to get caught probably by uh, – it's there's a if you're following uh, the news and uh, there's a, a trend in the states and everywhere else where uh, chemists make just change one molecule of an illegal substance and it's now legal. But those things have side effects that you wouldn't really comprehend, and it does make side effects like uh, Channel Jones had on Sunday. And uh, what a weird year for the Jones brothers. If you're looking at his brother, uh, yeah. former UFC light heavyweight champion John Jones, uh, yeah, there, there seems to be a trend there. Yeah, since marijuana has well-known um, uh, influence in, in controlling pain, I would think the NFL would do well by itself to just make that legal for its players to use. But I suppose you can't get into that because of no, uh, its you, illegal nature in society. You'd rather have them use oxycodone and create the dependence that way that it's like a lot more strong. Yeah, exactly. Let's not yeah, get on that it, subject, but it's a good subject one day to talk about. Yeah, Mike Richards. Uh, yeah, it's it's a ridiculous one. That's, that's probably a show for five rings. Yeah. All right. I think on that note, uh, we'll, we'll say goodbye today. We'll thank David Foote again for that. And um, that's it for today. So join us next time on the SPN Roundtable. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us, sportspodcastingnetwork.com.